Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. Hey, what's up, everyone? Uh, welcome, new subscribers. I uh, just did a podcast with Ramsey Dewey. I think this comes out next month, maybe in December. I'll try to see. I'm not sure when this is going to be released. But uh, either way, uh, I got back from China recently, and I want to thank my new subscribers for jumping on the show. I really hope you enjoy this. This is the Kajukembo series. Today I'm interviewing John Hackleman, the Pitmaster, uh, also known as uh, Hall of Famer Chuck Liddell's coach. Uh, we talk about Kajukembo. Before we get started, this podcast was a little bit different from the other podcasts that I've done because John is a pretty famous, popular guy. He's done a lot of other podcasts. I do recommend you check out Joe Rogan 444, uh, Primal Radio Podcast number 74, and the Total Human Optimization Podcast number 103 because uh, I tried to make them different from these three other podcasts and ask them questions that are a little more related to Kajikembo. It was a great interview. And uh, let's just get started with the show. I'm here with John Hackleman, the pitmaster. What's up, man? How you doing? Hey, what's up, man? Just uh, living the life here in paradise. Nice. nice. Couldn't be better. Couldn't be, I didn't complain. I, I even know. I couldn't even come. If I wanted to complain right now, people would laugh at me. <laughs> I just got done testing like 15, 16 of my guys to black belt and different degrees of black belt um i remember my beautiful wife uh and, and some of my best friends in the world were and we're in honolulu hawaii so i don't know i mean i could complain but who would listen to me if i complained seriously <laughs> it, it would be a joke jokes on me so anyway life is great brother thanks that's great man that's great yeah i've been following your stuff on uh on Facebook, and I noticed you're doing your black belt test right now. Uh, for some yeah. of my listeners, um, I kind of already did a pre-intro earlier about um, about who you are and and some of your background. But uh, as some of the people that follow this YouTube channel and my podcast may know, this is part of the Kaju Kembo series. And um, I guess real quick, I know some people know. And many people don't know about your connection to Kaju Kembo. Uh, yeah. Would you mind kind of briefly mentioning how that worked or how that got started? Well, I, I came up I'm from Hawaii, Honolulu, Hawaii, the same place Kaju Kembo started. And, you know, I, I was a blonde kid and uh, I always heard stories when I was like in third, fourth grade, you know, about how bad it's going to be once you hit intermediate school, which is seventh eighth and ninth grade in hawaii and i always heard like once you hit that uh they had like kill howley day and they take your lunch money and they beat you up and and basically mistreat you and i was like i was so nervous about ever getting to junior high school or intermediate school so i looked in the phone book and i found a martial arts gym because i knew i had to start training on my own you know so i found a place I caught the bus. I went down there. Um, I, it was a uh, you know Walter Goodin, who's a Kaju Kempo guy, um, and um, I walked in. I was like ten years old. I walked in the dojo, um, and I just knew the second I walked in at ten years old. Ten years old. I remember it was like like it was yesterday. I walked in the door. Walked into this like maybe 500 square feet at the most dojo tiny little square no it's just like nothing no frills at all i just walked in i was like this is it this is from this is going to be the rest of my life right here i knew it i knew it i started tra I, I cut the bus down there every day i would go down saturdays you know i go monday tuesday wednesday thursday i would go every day after school i cut the bus there and it was my home they didn't have kids classes they don't have anything pampered Walter Godin was a mean, rough, uh, you know, ex-con who was very violent, very gruff, very mean to a lot of people, had a seriously uh, that, uh, mean reputation. Um, but 
I loved it. And I loved being around that kind of roughness. I knew it was going to keep, my, keep me safe. I knew it was going to make me safe. And I started training with him at 10 years old. And um, I, I just never looked back. I was with him till the day he died. And uh, he changed my life. If I didn't walk in that gym, if I did not walk into that gym back in 1970 in Honolulu, Hawaii, today, 2019, 2019, I'd be wearing a floral dress, sitting in a corner, married to a Samoan man, and he'd be throwing stewed tomatoes at me right now. <laughs> and, and that's what my life would be like if it wasn't for martial arts. Martial arts saved my life changed my life and and I I don't even I have I have I don't have words to describe where I would be without Walter Goodin or martial arts that's it thing so kind of bringing it to uh like I know a lot of the people that listen to my show know what Kaja Kembo is I have a few new subscribers that came in that have no idea what Kaja Kembo is yeah um it it's, it's different. It's, let me just tell you, I'll, I don't know what you're going to ask, but I'll tell you this. It's way different than I see in the mainland. Like when I was here training and tournaments and, and, and training with other Kaji Kempo guys and just the whole culture, you know, everything was, you know, uh, professor and, and, and master and, you know, and, and we call them instructor and, you know, but now, like, all of a sudden, and there was no, like, Chinese, no, no Chinese influence. Like, the Sifu now, Sifu, Sigung, you know, Siju, all that stuff um, wasn't in there. It wasn't anywhere in there. And there wasn't any kind of, like, soft art, you know, soft kata or anything. It was just a really hard art. And then they brought in, I think this, I don't even remember the, when they brought in the, uh, the the Chinese aspect where there's the Sifu, Sigung, Siju stuff. Um, and it just seems different now. It's, it's a little different. I'm not saying it's better or worse, but it's definitely different than the Kaju Kempo I remembered in like, you know, 1970, 1971 um, in, in uh, Honolulu, Hawaii. It just is way different. Like I said, not better, not worse, just different. There's a lot of Ohana in Kaju Kempo now, no matter where you train, but there was definitely a difference. And kind of like back then, what were the popular styles? I mean, I know Kaju Kempo even now isn't the most popular style. It's kind of like pretty amazing how you just kind of yellow page, you know, I choose you, you found it. But like, bang. <laughs> it was because, you know why it was? <laughs> it was because the picture he had in the yellow pages, sorry, uh, the picture he had in the yellow pages, it was like him doing like a, not him. It was just a cart. It was like a drawing of someone doing a, a back kick and landing on someone. And I just thought that was the coolest page. That's the only reason I picked that one. <laughs> it was two bus drive. It, it was two bus rides away. Like uh, anybody from uh, from uh, you know from why I'm from Kamaki, like the end of Kamaki, and he was at 404 Pekoi, which is right across the street from Alamoana Shopping Center. So it was like it wasn't like great job. I had to catch two buses, you know. I had to transfer, so it was kind of far away. But the most the the, the most popular uh, systems here in, in Hawaii at that time, by far there was a there was a there was a uh, there was a franchise or you know a group of schools called uh, Japanese International Karate Center, J A J I K C, Japan, and I think it was a Shotokan based uh, school, but there was a bunch of them all over the place. And then um, I guess there were some Taekwondo schools, but I don't really remember them. But I know there was some Kung Fu places like Choi Lei Phut and, uh, and there was a guy named uh, Si Lung Pai. No, no, that was his style. Oh, his name was – I can't remember his name. But he had a system, Buck Sam Kong. Buck Sam Kong was his name. And he had, he had some pretty big Kung Fu schools in the islands. But, but Kaju Kempo was definitely the most popular one. Cool, cool. So, you already kind of mentioned a little bit about how the training with Godin was brutal. And then for my listeners, I definitely encourage you to listen to the podcast you did with Primal Radio, number 74, and also the Total Human Optimization podcast, number 103, where you kind of really go into depth about your history, your background, 
your school <laughs> Joe days. Rogan. Yeah, the Joe, Joe Rogan four 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 four. Yeah, Joe Rogan four four four. Also, they go over a lot of the background and some of that um, history, his personal history. Um, but some one of the questions I have, uh, had, had, have. <laughs> I was reading. Um, I was reading David Tavira's book on the Kajukembo. Yeah, David Tavira's book on the Kajukembo Kempo connection. Yeah. And um, I was kind of surprised because I never really heard about this stuff till I read the book about how there was, I guess there was tension at one point yeah, yeah. with Walter yeah. Godin and everything that happened with Joe. Did you know, yeah, yeah. like when you were training with him and that kind of stuff, did you, I don't, I don't know what the timeline is on this stuff. Was this happening while you were there or did this already happen by the time you got there? It already happened. And, and, and like he, uh, so like he was Godin's self-defense and he, he called it, he changed it to Hawaiian, uh, Chinese Kempo for a while. But it was Kaja Kempo. I mean, all the forms, the, the, the techniques, the way we trained. You know, we did the tournaments for the Kaja Kempo guys. But it was all, Kaja Kempo was also a, um, like, an association. So it wasn't just a system of martial arts. It was an association. And he was kind of, uh, kind of in the outs with some of it, you know? Yeah. So... So we called it that, but he still hung around with all the Kaji Kempo guys. Like, you know, uh, you know, um, they had one in Waihiwa, Brother Abe, and, and, you know, Al Assumption, and, and, so, and some of the other Kaji Kempo guys. But, you know, he called it uh, Chinese Kempo for a while. And then, and then whatever got mended, the fences got mended, and then it went back to Kaji Kempo. So I don't, you know, I don't. That all happened like in the fifties, I think. So it was before oh, okay. me. All right, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I've always wondered because I, I never even heard of it. Like to me, it's all Kajukembo. So like, it's kind of yeah. It was kind of weird. Well, I was I wasn't tripped out by it, but it did it did kind of catch me off guard. Um, yeah, they they do a lot of like uh, Kajukembo likes to do a lot of like association and clubs, and you know I call mine Ohana. And it's not quite as political as, as the old Kaja Kempo. Like, they, they have the KSDY, DI. Yeah. Like, different branches of Kaja Kempo. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like Krav Maga. I mean, it's just Krav Maga, but then there's, like, four different Krav Magas. And you get, you're one of, you're one of the four. And then with Kaja Kempo, they like different, you know, they have kind of different uh, fr- fractions of it. Yeah. Where you can be, you know, K... K idea. I don't even know them all. Yeah, I, do I. I, can't, I can't keep up with it, it actually. <laughs> and it, it really doesn't interest me at all. Like uh, to me, I know where I came from. I know what Kaji Kempo is. I know what Hawaiian Kempo is. I know who Godin was. Uh, I know what a punch to the face will do, no matter what you want to call it. You could call it anything you want, and you punch someone in the face, it's all the same. So, you know, I, I'm not really that big on it. I, you know. I don't do the Sifu, Sigong, Sijun, and all that stuff. Um, I, I don't really, I don't really think that's as Kaju Kempo as the old school Kaju Kempo, but it's a newer Kaju Kempo, and it's a, it's a softer Kaju Kempo, and it's better for families. It is Ohana. It's a great martial art, but it isn't as hard. If they did hardcore Kaju Kempo now, like they did when we were training in the 70s, uh, nobody would come. They'd have like three students. And, and they'd have to close down. So, I mean, so it's smarter the way the Kaju Kempo kind of softened up and, and did that Chinese influence with some Kung Fu and, and stuff like that. So it's better in that respect, but it's nothing like old school Kaju Kempo was. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a difference between how, how that ends up working out, like when you're trying to teach the fighting styles and at the same time market for, to try to bring more people into your school, right? So it's, it's a tough one. Yeah. It's my biggest challenge. In fact, my biggest, my, biggest, uh, my biggest asset is my name, Chuck's name, the UFC, Glover, Court, all, all my association with that because it's put me on TV and put me in the Joe Rogan. and put, So people know me more, but it's my biggest liability too because – Soccer moms and guys that just want to train and learn how to defend themselves, they think of the pit and they think of a cage and blood and Chuck Liddell knocking people out. So they steer clear of my gym more than they come to my gym because of my, because of my notoriety with the UFC. So I lose more students. It's more of a liability than it is an asset. If I didn't have, an, I, I, if I didn't have the name 
with with the affiliated with uh, Chuck and, and and Glover and the UFC, um, I might not be as well known, like in in you know around uh, all over, but I guarantee you my school would probably be at least three times more uh, successful as it is today. So this kind of ties into a question I was going to ask you later, but I'll, I'll ask you now. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I live in Japan, right? And over okay. here in Japan, yeah. like, it's a very non-confrontational society. Like, yeah, it's yeah. it's very it's unheard of, almost unheard of to see people fighting on the street. Um, police will literally, like, politely talk people down. I've seen like drunk people like getting really aggressive with police and like four or five cops will talk them down. It's a completely different type of society. So one of the things like I've always wondered is like, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I, as you mentioned kind of already how like back in the day there was a harder style. Do you feel like people were harder in general back then? Like not just, Kajukembo itself, but like society, do you feel like society is getting softer or harder as time goes by? I guess that's one of my questions. It's going to tie into another one. Yeah. yeah, I think I think, I think think martial arts is more important now than it's ever been, ever, short of the samurai, you know, warlord days, etc. I think, I think our society, our culture especially, is becoming so soft. It's becoming so soft that it's scary. I mean, it's, it's scary. We're, 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 I mean, I think we're predominantly not we like you and me, but I think our males in this, in this country are becoming more beta. We have more beta males than we've ever had. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And martial arts is the, is probably the only thing that can save it. I think martial arts can save our culture because I think our, our, our men are morphing, they're morphing into women and it's scary. You know, and it has nothing to do with genders, nothing to do with, you know, uh, sexual preference or anything. You know, I'd rather have a tough gay guy on my team any day than a wimpy beta male straight guy. And again, you're, you're yeah. talking you're talking more about like the idea of someone who is is willing to do the work, someone who's willing to, you know, actually like again, it has nothing to do with gender. It has to do more like no. a personality no. style. People who exactly. And when we say aggressive, exactly. like people, I think people get aggressive, kind of twisted. I'm gonna wait for this ambulance to go by real quick. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm already caught. Yeah, go on. <laughs> I think what happens is a lot of people get the word aggressive twisted with someone who's like in your face, being angry or mean, and really like when I think about aggressive in Kajukembo, I just think about. Someone who's willing to stand up for what they believe in. Someone who's willing to, to fight for what they believe in, if you know what I mean. And I think I lost. Okay, there you are. No. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, and I think I think that's what kind of gets twisted yeah. up when, this, when people mention like t- when t- people t- mention beta male. Like some people are like, oh, yeah. he's talking about he's talking about gender. He's talking about sexual preference. And you made it really clear. Like we're talking about more about no. the kind of person who has no backbone. Like the kind of person who, no matter what side of a political spectrum they stand on. They don't have whatever it takes to actually stand up and defend what they believe in, right? Um, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I, I, I'll take it to an easier because what you believe in and you know stuff like that, fighting for this and that, that's great. Um, and that's, that is an aspect of it. But to me, I can make it a lot easier. If you're walking down the street and, and somebody attacks your wife, okay, a beta male will call 911, Okay. A beta male will call 911. An alpha male will jump in without even thinking. So that to me, that's like the simple, a simple one. And then you can get to more like, and then I, I broke it down a little more. I came up with this one. It's more of a scale. So you walk in, you walk in, you walking down the street. Somebody grabs your wife's ass, right? So what is a beta? Are you an alpha male, a beta male? What are you gonna do? So it's like she, he grabbed your, her ass, but then he walked away. So legally, you can't go attack them. So what do you do? I mean, that so it puts you in a quandary. Like you want to be an alpha male, but you know, you, so now you have to get creative with your alpha maleness, or else you're going to go to jail. Because if you don't, is this is there any cussing on this? Uh, no, yeah, you can say whatever. Okay. You, you, yeah, you can cuss all you want. Okay, so like, like you got to think of it this, and then you got to deal with it. It's a good, it's a good alpha beta question. Um, somebody gra- grabs your wife's ass. 
and, and, and you and you see it, and then you don't do anything. And your wife's going to look at you like, you fucking bitch. Some guy just grabbed my ass, and you're not going to do anything about it? They're, they're never going to suck your dick the same again, ever. Okay, that's true. Because she's going to look at you like that every time, and she's always going to want a guy that's going to protect her. She's going to want like, a guy that's going to stick up for her. A guy that's going to beat the shit out of the guy that, you know, grabbed her ass. So she's going to want that guy. Even though she pretends now all in this gender-fied, you know, uh, fluid gender society, everybody, or it's Jew, yeah, um, they say, um, you know, that, that, that it's, it's, you know, it's, they say they wouldn't, but, but it's, it's, it's becoming that. And, and so you, you want to do that, but then again, let me tell you what happens. And this is where, why it's, it's a scale. Because if you get, if you change from alpha to aggressive, that's bad. That makes you, you might not be a bully, but you, you're, you're kind of pushing, you're pushing it past where, where you need to. You definitely so get somebody, into that line, right? You're definitely getting to that line yeah, when you're pushing there. Yeah. You don't, and I'll tell you what happens. Like she'll never suck your dick again the same way if you don't protect her. Someone grabbed her ass because women are like that. They pretend they want the guy that's soft and sensitive and they want a guy that's really sweet and he understands me. If a guy understands you, that's because he's too much like a female. And, and if he understands you, that's a bad sign. You might as well be with a woman. But then if you do beat the guy up, let me just tell you, this is the problem with being the alpha male. You do beat the guy up because he grabbed your, 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 you know, your wife's ass and you, you do want her to suck your dick great again. So you beat up the guy. Now, guess what? You just got you just got arrested for assault and battery because you it wasn't self-defense. The guy was walking away after he grabbed her ass. So guess what now? Now your wife will look at you like the, the, the macho guy and the alpha male. So when you get out of prison, she'll suck your dick really good. But while you're in, she'll be sucking someone else's dick. You got to remember that. <laughs> so and I that... And that's the quandary. That's why us being an alpha male is much harder than being a beta male because with a beta male, you're harmless, you're weak, you're soft. You, you know you're not going to do anything, so you'll always get that mediocre blowjob, but, but at least you'll always be around because you'll never take a chance in life. Bing. So I think, again, we're, we're going back on that balance. And martial arts is about balance, right? So it's about, back to that balance. Um, if I'm hearing you straight here, you're, you're, you're talking more about the idea of someone who's a coward who, who at all costs avoid confrontations at the cost of people they love getting hurt as compared to someone that, as compared to someone who's going to step up and protect their family, protect their, their loved ones. The fact takes their life, their family, their loved ones, their country. You're not going to see very many. You don't see beta males in the infantry. You don't see very many beta males in the special forces. You know what I mean? In, in the infantry, in the ranger schools. Those are all alpha males. You know? And and the guy that's not going to protect his wife, like most won't, they're the betas. And and, they're, and, and beta males aren't, aren't better because they're peaceful. They're not peaceful. They're not peaceful. They're harmless. And they're weak. And there's a difference between being peaceful, right? If you can kick the guy's ass but you don't that makes you peaceful but if you can't and you don't that just makes you a bitch <laughs> all right cool i think that i think that that clarified Man. that definitely all clarified. Right, we got it. um so coming back to our story here uh was there any because I, I know you mentioned before how you call your style kempo with an m right right yeah and when you decided to do that, was there any conflict when you decided to say, okay, I'm not going to call this Kaja Kembo, I'm going to call this Kempo with an M. Was there any conflict with any of the people you work with over that, or was everything smooth? No, in fact, um, the only person I really cared about, honestly, the only person I cared about that it meant anything to was Godin. I, didn't, I, I could care less about anyone else in martial arts. Um, so I asked him, and he absolutely loved the idea. 
Uh, he loved the pit. He loved my Hawaiian Campo system. He came for like my first three black belts uh, tests until he passed away. He loved what I was doing with the pit. He loved it. And he, and, and he always said he wishes he did it that way because he still did the katas and the forms and the taiokas and the grab arts and the punch tricks, etc. where I didn't. And, and, and I asked him, I said, hey, do you mind if I don't do that? He's like, ah, fuck, I love what you're doing, man. He loved it. So he would like he, he came over for Chuck's black belt test and some of my other uh, black belts. Um, so he loved what I do I, I was doing. He gave me his full blessing, and that meant everything to me, and nothing else mattered. And then kind of I know I, I kind of fucked up the timeline on this que- next question, but when did you know that you wanted to teach? Because there's always that moment where. You come in, you want to know how to fight, and and yeah. you, and you learn, you you start learning how to defend yourself, and you become a fighter. But being a teacher is definite, and then again, and in your case, becoming a coach, right? A professional MMA UFC coach. When did you know you were transitioning more from that fighter role to that teaching role? Um, that happened. That I was always a little of both. Like even in my early days, when I. I mean, even in my when I was in the army, I was I was boxing for the army, but then after work, after my you know after after I got out of like work every day, I would go to the local gym and help train some some kids. So I like doing that. Um, I like I, I don't know why I just like doing it. And then when I got out of the army and I became a registered nurse and I started, uh, I was still fighting at the time. But I needed I needed somewhere to train because I worked a lot of shifts. I looked I worked a lot of overtime, night shift, so I couldn't always get to the gym during the day. And I had fights coming up. I mean, that's when I was fighting. I was world ranked, you know. So I I built a gym. I had a gym built in my backyard, a 400 square foot gym. So I had a heavy bag, some weights, and I trained Makiwara. So I trained back there, and then pretty soon, like I had buddies at work say, Hey, can you? You uh, show me some stuff, or can I train in your gym and get in shape? And next thing you know, it was the pit. Guys are getting the pit tattoo. Um, I expanded a little bit, and it started getting pretty popular. And then when I moved up, you know, so that's when I knew. I guess I was still fighting towards the end of my career, but I was more in, I was more interested in teaching. And then when I moved to San Luis Obispo in 1990, and I got Chuck Liddell right away and some other guys that wanted to actually fight then i went from teaching like regular our hawaiian campus system to training fighters so and i was still working so i was teaching training fighters and and also uh you know working as an rn so that's i mean it kind of and then i did more of the teaching than the fighting and then pretty soon i i I retired altogether from fighting and i just kept training like chuck fought on my I was the main event of one of Chuck's fights, and I, I, you know, I wrapped his hands, then I wrapped mine, then I worked his corner, then I went out and fought, you know. So, so we're we're doing that for a while, but um, but I hardly had any fights after that, and uh, um, then I just became a full-time trainer. All right, so that's when you can't train. And by the, I'm guessing at this point, this is long after you've gotten your black belt, then, huh? Yeah, you know, I got my black belt in 70, 77, I think, and um, yeah, I, I that yeah, this is way after. When I was, to be honest, like I would help out with a class now and then at Goodings, but I, there wasn't much, you know, junior teaching or anything. I was, I was never, and if I did, it was nothing I really cared about or loved to do. So, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I, that started. It started in like ninety for me really starting training people. So kind of go into, so that's when you knew you wanted to teach. You got the pit together, right? Yeah. Um, people started asking you to teach and you, and you started moving more, transitioning more into a teaching role. What do you think is or was your biggest challenge for you as a teacher? Like, when you decided to say, okay, I'm not going to be a fighter anymore. I'm going to focus more on teaching. Or what were some of the challenges that, that you came across when you did this? I think there's a couple. I think number one, um, and a lot of trainers have this one. Um, I was trying to like teach everybody like I fought. 
you know, like TTRA my way. And I realized real quick, like half of my fighters right now on my fight team are, are grapplers. They, they'd rather take it to the ground and keep it to the ground. You know, everybody thinks of us as only a striking school, but half of my fighters are all about grappling. And then half of my fighters like striking more. Well, probably a third, and then a third will go either way. Um, so um, so that's kind of a tough one. It's like I, I can't teach everyone the way I just say throw a left hook, you know. But some of my guys don't want to throw a left hook. They want to do a double leg takedown. So um, so I got to go, go there with it. So I go there with it more, even though it's not, not my cup of tea or something I love as much. But I can't always think about it the way I did it. And I have the problem with that at, 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 um, with my regular students, too. And my wife always calls me on it. We know, John, you had it tougher. You trained tougher when you were younger. We know how tough it was. But not everybody's like that, John. Not everybody's like you, Mr. Tough Guy. So, so she, I mean, it kind of irritates me when she says that. And I usually call her the C word. But, <laughs> but to be honest... But to be honest, she's right. And she call, when she calls me on it, I realize I'm doing it too, too much. Because I don't – not everybody's going to train like me. Not everybody's going to train like Chuck. Not everybody's going to train like Rick Metzler, one of my top black belts. Not everybody's going to train like Glover. You know, so everybody's in their own. Every one of my black belts is a black belt to them, not to me. Because I can't expect them – you know, I'm going to have some objective things where, every, you know, where everybody has to do. But almost all of my stuff, techniques especially, it's their best left hook. It's their best takedown. It's their best this. It's their best that. Not mine, not Glover's, not Court McGee's. I can't. And one of the reasons it's harder for me is because of my fighters. I have such high-level fighters. So, I, you know, sometimes I train my regular guys. The bar is really hard. It's really high, you know. Yeah. So it's like I have to realize that not all my guys are going to be like those guys. They're going to be their own version of that. And as long as their best version of themselves, then to me, they're a black belt in their own, in their own skin. So not all my black belts look different. A lot of people don't like that, like martial arts guys, because I don't do katas, and they don't have to do specific things all the same. Every one of my black belts is different. Um, and, the, you know, it's just part of my family. And I don't expect them to be exactly the same, but they have to be a black belt in their skin. So that's that's the difference I do. And how do you kind of balance that? Because like I know, I personally I jump between both worlds. Like you know, I'm a Kaja Kimball practitioner, but I visit MMA gyms and I and I train in MMA. I jumped in just to make sure that I, I was well rounded. But obviously, like you just mentioned, that's not, MMA is not for everyone, right? And one of the things that happens in Kajukembo is you do have people that are doctors. In your case, you were a registered nurse. Like, how do you yeah. kind of how do you kind of get a balance between your MMA fighters and then your everyday, I don't know, doctors, teachers that are coming just to yeah, do some know, martial that, arts on the weekend or whatever. <laughs> funny, funny you brought that up because out of all my students that aren't my, that aren't fighters. Like I have a fight team and then I have a, I have a, you know, my Hawaiian Kempo students, my fight team, they're all Hawaiian Kempo students as well. And they get belted just like my regular Hawaiian Kempo students. But my, all of my Hawaiian Kempo students don't want to be MMA fighters. So there's a dichotomy there. But one thing is, it's funny is my toughest, best fighter in the whole Hawaiian Kempo gym that I have, that's not a fighter is a pediatrician. He's a doctor. That's <laughs> funny as shit. It's funny as shit watching him drop people. And it's like, you're a pediatrician for God's sake. So every, the, and there's no real difference. It's a, let me tell you the difference. The difference, it's the same goal. Everybody has, I mean, everybody has a different um, goal, but it's the same process. The same process is you train hard, you train intense. Everything has to be intense because every time you get jumped, it's never a jog. Every time you get jumped in the street with the adrenaline, with your fucking heart rate pounding, it's always a sprint. So everybody has to train that way, whether you're in the Hawaiian Kempo system or not. Everybody has to train for a hard fight because in the street or the, or the cage. So the training is almost identical, almost identical. The only difference is 
um, for the the goal. The goal in the, in the cage is is a trophy. It's it's a it's a it's money. It's a title. It's a it's a a ribbon. And in the street, it's your life. It's just saving your life. It's just staying alive so you can go home with your family. And they and, and we train you know. So it's different, but it's the same. And 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 almost all the techniques interchange. Almost every single technique that an MMA fighter is is completely completely uh, um, effective on the street. And almost every technique you teach for your your students, your street students, is effective in the cage. There are a few, only a few, probably I can count them on one hand that don't transfer over. And that's a really easy fix. So it makes it easier on me because my fight team trains almost exactly the same and as my Hawaiian Kempo team, as my Hawaiian Kempo class. So it's easy for me on the curriculum every week because I'm teaching them all the same things. The only things I change are like, I, you know, if I'm doing an eye gouging day, you know, or, or you know, eye, eye pokes, et cetera. But that's really, that's, I mean, that's just like a handful of uh, techniques. Other than that, it's all the same. A left hook's a left hook. It's going to knock you out in the street, the cage, the ring, anywhere, right? So almost everything is exactly the same. And then have you ever had, have you ever had a situation, especially now, like, because I, I, I mean, I, I haven't been doing this as long as you have, but I have, in my personal experience, when I first started teaching Kajikembo, I had more people that wanted to just more do Kajikembo for the traditional aspects of it. But after a year or two of me teaching, MMA just got, got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I had more people coming in wanting to do MMA, wanting to be an MMA fighter. And I have people walking in, I want, I want to be an MMA fighter, they'd say. Have you, yeah. ever, have you ever had a situation where someone told you they want to be an MMA fighter, but you just didn't feel they might have what it takes to actually do it? Or you were afraid that they just didn't have the personality for it and they're going to end up getting hurt? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, and it's gone the other way too. Is I've had the opposite side of that too, where guys came just to train, and next thing you know, they're winning titles in MMA. But um, yeah, but everybody, um, almost everybody, unless they've proven themselves, everybody that comes to me and says I want to be an MMA fighter, I sign them up. They have to sign up for the Hawaiian Kempo class, and I and I'll and I'll, I'll give them a quarter, you know, like you know, one quarter. So every quarter. I, you know, I reassess and they get their belts, et cetera. So we go on a quarterly system. So I, I, I'll put them in the Hawaiian Kempo system, a class, and the classes, the techniques are the same. And they even, you know, so it's almost the same kind of training, almost, not quite, but almost. So I see how they do after a quarter. You know, then, you know, they, they've probably been roughed up a little bit during sparring day and, you know, they've done some grappling, they've done a lot of conditioning. So we'll see how they are after three months. If they still do, um, then I'll transfer them over to the fight team, and if they don't yet, I'll keep them there and see what, see uh, see how they like it. If they want, if they still want to, and sometimes they change their mind. You know, like, yeah, no, I'll just stay with this. Or you know, some guys, like I said, the opposite. They just want to do Hawaiian Kempo, and a couple years later, they go, hey, I want to fight. So it goes both ways. But yeah, I have had I've had that, and I have a lot of guys that I've I've looked at and thought, oh, this guy's never going to make it, and then I was wrong. Because you can't tell until the bell rings in the cage. Not the bell rings in sparring. Some of the worst spars are great fighters, and some of the best fighters are terrible spars. And what do you do in that situation if you have a fighter who, let's say they were a great sparer, and you put them in the cage, and then they're just they're just getting hurt in the cage? Well, what what do you when do you know when to pull the plug? I guess. I, I don't really pull the plug. I'll throw in the towel like every fight. I mean, if I see a guy getting hurt, I'm known. Like I said, I'm known for throwing in the towel. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm known. John, you know, all the referees know that if I'm in the corner, you know, their job's a lot easier because I'm throwing the towel in before they have to think, should I stop it or not? You know, if it's close and my guy's getting hurt, my towel's going in. But yeah. um, so I'll throw in the towel every time they fight if they're getting hurt. But I'm not going to, unless I think they're getting like, like long-term hurt and, and really chronically injured, they can fight as long as they want because I don't want to, I don't want to, if it's their passion, if it's their, it's in their, you know, if they love it. Um, it's one of the reasons I got such a big thing with, uh, with uh, 
Dana White. I mean, he, he was telling Chuck, you have to retire. And it was like, I didn't want Chuck to fight ever. I mean, Chuck wanted to fight, and I, I you know, I, I, I okayed to work his corner, but I didn't, I, didn't wanna, uh, I didn't want him to ever fight, so he did. But it's, he loves it. Nobody, Dana White, uh, nobody should tell somebody else when or where. I mean, it'd be like, like if, 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 if there was a few fights and, and they didn't make money, so maybe Chuck could go in and say, hey, Dana, you can't be a promoter anymore. You know, you can't tell anyone what to do or how to live their life and, you know, take away from what their, their dream is. You know, if you see him getting really badly hurt, you could really have a hard conversation with him. If it's one of my family members, I'll pull the plug. Um, but other than that, you know, the best I can do is protect them each fight. I, I can't, uh, if they're not going to be good, not everybody's going to be a Chuck Liddell, Glover Tutera, Court McGee, Ramsey Nijum. Some guys are going to be, you know, losing fighters. I mean, half the fighters out there are going to be losing fighters, but they love to do it. So who are we to say, well, since you're not living up to the standards of the UFC, you can't do it anymore. But that might be what they love, you know. Maybe they love playing tennis and they suck at that. You can't make them not do that either. I mean, more people get hurt playing football, soccer, you know, you know, than 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 they do actually in in MMA. So I don't know. I, I take a hard line on telling, trying to control what people do with their life, but I will throw in the towel if I'm in their corner. So, <laughs> so if I'm understanding you correctly, you'll support them to do what they love in the in the safest way possible. If that's yeah, if that's, you know what I mean. Yeah. And if, and if I'm in the corner and I see him, I see him get their bell rung, the towel's going in. I don't, I've had, I've had, I've had referees tell me, Hey John, it's too early. You're stopping it too early. I'm, no, that's my fighter. It stopped. Yeah. I've had doctors, doctors, doctors are the most conservative when it comes to that stuff. And uh, they'll say, Hey, this cut isn't bad enough, John. You shouldn't stop it. I was like, sorry. You know, it's, I, this is my guy. I want it stopped. You know? So, um, I always lean on the, on the side of, of you'll fight another day unless it's a title fight or unless they're making, you know, if the difference between winning and losing is a million dollars and that could change their life. Yeah. Then I'll, I'll take a little more risk for them. I'll let them take a little more risk because that could set them up. That could change their whole life. But especially an amateur fight or a low-paying fight, that towel's there. Cool. If now, they get hurt. So... You've been doing this for a long time, man. What do you yeah. think about this newer generation of MMA fighters as compared to when you started, when you were doing it back in the day with, with Chuck Liddell? No, oh, they're so much better. It's not even funny. It's like, it's like night or day. It's like, they're just so much better. They're not, they're not tougher, but they're not any less tough. They're the same toughness as they've, as they've, they've always been. They've always been just like they are when it comes to toughness. Skill-wise, they're fucking 10 times better, without a doubt. So it's scary because they're 10 times better, but they're just as tough. It's like, it's, it's, a, whole diff it's a whole different game now than it used to be. I mean, whole different game now. Yeah, it's something else as time goes through. So um, I'm almost finished up here. I have two more questions for you. Um, okay. So, I've heard, <laughs> I've read and, and heard about you, you setting up an online program. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's, a, there's stuff around, like, a lot, a lot of people have mixed feelings about online programs. Uh, yeah. I guess, how, do you mind talking about some of the structure of your online program? And no. maybe some of the critiques or criticism that online programs get, and what your yeah. kind of what kind of safety measures you're putting in to ensure that that doesn't happen to your online program. Yeah, I mean, like, um, 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 um there, uh, um, the safety measures is um, like um, the videos, I guess, videos. I'm gonna see what they're doing. Um, uh, interactive, they're going to have interactive training and uh, videos. So, and yeah, I guess that's, I mean, so I'm going to see what kind of conditioning they are, what kind of 
you know, what kind of techniques they do. Um, yeah, so I, I guess that's it. Um, and, and to be honest, like, like most guys that want to be with the pit and, and be affiliated with Hawaiian Kempo, usually they're a type of person. They're the hardcore persons. Like, it's usually not a bunch of guys that want to do, like, a system, like, I don't know, a softer system. So usually I, the, it's kind of the starts off harder. Sure, there are a couple guys that aren't going to make it, just like that come and walk in my door. You know, they're just not going to make the belt, you know. Um, but um, but I just I just see it attracting more like-minded people like myself just because of my, you know, say reputation, culture, etc. So that that's the way I see it. Um, and there's a lot of schools like that that say, you know, that, I mean, they question like, I don't know the word, like, um, you know, being softer and stuff. But I've gone to so many black belt testings that I'm in real, that that aren't online, and they're doing their testing, and I'm watching, and I'm like, they're testing for, like, brown and black belt. I'm watching, and I'm like, I couldn't be any softer with my online guys than some of these brick-and-mortar gyms teach. So it's like I, I, I can't be any softer than that, even if I tried, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I, I just I just think, you know, um, yeah, I, I just think that, like I said, mainly I think people like that want my stuff and Master Wong, um, they're that way already, and then like I said, I'm checking, you know, if you're watching somebody do, you know, he can't you can't lie about. You know, unless you're a magician when it comes to <laughs> video lying. But I can see how fast you're doing. You can't lie about how many burpees you're doing in three minutes if you got a video. Yeah. You can't lie how good your left hook is if I'm watching you do it on a video. You know, so I, to me, that's, that's it right there. And, and you know, I, I do a lot of online courses myself. And it's like, wait, I'm learning all this shit online. I'm learning it really good. You know, some of it's even physical. You know, my wife watches uh, some some of the best techniques and some of the best workouts she gives her boot camp are stuff that she learned online. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now she's and now she's teaching. So I see where they're like, there's kind of a, just like everybody used to say, never throw a head kick in the street. There's you know some kind of common you know fears or common you know, commonalities that people share, like, oh, online this. But they also said those are the same people that would say never throw a, a head kick in the street or in the UFC. Now we see where that went, right? Yeah. Well, I think so, a, lot, a lot of the things that people are worried about whenever you talk about online yeah. programs is they're always worried that somehow it's going to become one of those certification things where someone just goes to your website and prints out a certificate, you know, you, and you've seen those kind of black belts that just, you know, you got yeah. those people that just, those people that just, there's people that are willing to take someone's money and there's willing, there are people that yeah. have certificates. And I think that's one of the things, whenever you mention online programs, that's one of the things that people, well, traditional martial artists get kind of freaked out about. Well, if, you, if you've been watching some of my social media, you've been seeing my black belt test. So don't forget, we're only going up to, we're going up to brown black. So anyone that wants to get their black belt, go all the way to black belt, whether they're online or in person, they're going to have to come to either do it at my gym because we have the testings there sometimes, but almost always it's in Hawaii. And you can, no matter how much you've lied or how much you fake, <laughs> even if you fake the videos, when I, when you're on, when you're on, when you're on Wilhelmina, and you're at the bottom of the hill, and you have to get to the top in 14 minutes, you can't fake that anymore. I mean, yeah. so that's, that's you know, when I got you, you know, in the beach, and I got Glover Teixeira throwing you in the water and slamming you in the soft sand and making you do, you know, burpee after burpee, you can't fake that anymore. So they might be able to fake their way up a couple of ranks. I don't know how, because I'm going to watch every, to get every rank, they have to send me a video of the test I sent them. Um, so the black belt, I don't, yeah, it, it, it just won't happen. So they might be able to say, Hey, I got my brown belt at the pit. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cause we're not, we're not like brown belt. Like it's a big deal with jujitsu because jujitsu is all about, uh, 
all about um, you know for tournaments. So they that's why they sandbag you know belts and they hold you they hold your uh, blue belt forever. They hold your purple belt forever. You know they hold your brown belt forever because they call that sandbagging because they, they take longer to get their belt because they want to do better in the tournaments, right? Yeah. So it's 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 better for them to have a, a, a blue belt that's been there for 18 years as a blue belt. He's winning all the tournaments as a blue belt, but that's that looks good at their school. So I mean, so we can sandbag any way they want, but we don't do that at the gym. To me, my my biggest, you know, if bragging rights for you know our our gym isn't blue, purple, or brown. It's black. So it's really nothing. Nothing means nothing until you get your black. And to get your black, you have to do it in front of me personally. So you know, so there, there's kind of a, you know, that that kind of you know, make sure that's that's a safeguard right there. Yeah. And like I said, even even doing three uh, three minutes of burpees, um, and I tell you, you have to do X amount. I know right there, if you can do that much, I know you're in shape. You just you can't do it without being in shape. You can do a lot of you can walk all day long and be out of shape. You could hike a little, but you can't do. You cannot do 50 burpees in three minutes unless you're in shape. You have to be in shape to do it. You just have to, you know. And then you have to be able to throw this, that, this technique, and that technique. So I'm seeing the technique. So you could fake me if you want to take all that time and energy and pay me while you're doing it and then fake yourself all the way up to brown belt. You could do that. It's going to be a lot of time and energy and money. And then you'll just never get your black, so it won't mean anything. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like taking the chick out, spending a shit ton of money on her, being nice to her, spending all this time and energy faking her. But then, when she gets home, she doesn't she doesn't give you up give up the sex. So it's not none of it. It was all done for nothing. <laughs> so again, like just to clarify. <laughs> It yeah. all goes back to sex. I know. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's all good. Sorry. I, I like the analogy. I really do. I really do. <laughs> um, but just to clarify it to my listeners and the people who are watching, again, they actually have to come into your school to take the black belt test. They're not doing a black belt test online. You're not handing out black belt certificates online. They actually have to come in, physically do the black belt test, experience the sparring, and and that's how they're going to earn their black belt, just like any other black yeah. belt would. Yeah, and like I said, you could fake your way all the way to black belt, all the way to brown belt, online and on the videos. But it's gonna be damn hard to do. You have to have, you'd have to have, you know, be able to do camera tricks and 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 you know some kind of fake uh, videos because I'm watching you do your video uh, burpees. I'm watching you do your push-ups. I'm watching you, you know, do do your exercises and your techniques. Um, so you can't fake that, really. Unless, like I said, it would take so much energy for you to fake it just to get to your brown. And then at the end of the day, you're not going to get your black anyway unless you pass in front of me. So I like the way it's set up. Master Wong and I did it, and I really like him, and I like his energy. We are different in, in certain aspects of our, our self-defense uh, beliefs and training. But together, you know, together I think we make the perfect combination. And, and uh, I really like the way it's turning out. And um, yeah, the I, you know when you look at schools and they're they're doing katas, they're doing actually 2019 now they're doing katas for their black belt, and they're not having to do the kind of conditioning I'm doing, but then I'm the one that might be you know giving a black belt. So it's it's, it's kind of comical to me, but but whatever I, you know you're never gonna hear Joe Rogan say, oh John sold out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, like, I, think, I think I think you 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 pretty much clarified it. Most people that I've that I the most the, the most critique I've ever heard of online programs is the idea that you're gonna end up getting a black belt who's never fought, and that's that's like, and and it happens. I mean, it's not it's not that it's not that you're doing it. And I mean, I had a I had to ask my instructor permission or his blessing to put some stuff online because I have a student that I train that I only see once a week. So I had to start showing him stuff online and I made a few YouTube videos for him. But when I, when I mentioned to my instructor, he's like, whoa, 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 are you going to be promoting online? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm making techniques available so he can watch them. That way when I come and see him, I can face to face, check on him, make sure he's doing it. But there is those people that, like I said earlier, they, they have their programs and essentially people can, they can fake, or I don't know if they care or don't care, but they end up getting a black belt and never fought anyone or know how to fight. 
that, that's I think that's where most of the controversy lies. But you definitely clarify yeah. that that's not what's going on at all. You, you're you're still testing. Yeah. They still have to and, fight. They have to do everything that any other black belt would do. Yeah, they have this. Yeah, they yeah. And I, I'm not as big on the fighting as I was, but it's still probably more than in, in your typical any other martial art gym out there. Uh, um, we, we we probably push our guys physically hard. My wife's my wife's son, my stepson actually went for his he went for his black belt this weekend that's my that's my stepson he got dropped with a body with a liver shot by glover tech Jerry yesterday he got dropped like like just flat out dropped so i mean there's no faking that shit you know what i mean it might you know so i and and they all had to get in there and get get roughed up pretty much her her other son got roughed up by by glover and i have a couple other you know a couple of my, my black belts uh and a couple of them were actual pro MMA fighters, so I mean, so they all go through. Um, and I don't, I don't endorse fighting, and I don't think you have to fight to get a belt. Just like you don't have to get shot to get a, you know, you'd be a be a good uh, gun guy like in the army, or you don't have to get stabbed to be a good knife uh, guy. But you do have to go through some sparring and drilling and and simulated fighting. I don't do it the way I used to. But then again, I don't, you know, I'm okay with that because, you know, I'm, I'm a little more conscious of uh, brain damage and concussions. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to, you know, sparring and stuff, I still think we're at the top of the food chain when it comes to traditional martial arts schools and sparring. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I think your, yeah. your fighters and the, the people that come out of your gym speak for themselves, right? So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, John, I, well, re- I really do appreciate you coming on the show, man. Yeah, appreciate um, it. Thank you. As a wrap-up question, I guess, uh, what's your advice for someone who has no idea about martial arts but wants to start training and they don't know where to start? And maybe they don't have access. Maybe they live in the middle of nowhere. They don't have somewhere to train. Or they don't know They don't know what's, what's real and what's not. What's your advice for someone like that? I would say, without a doubt, I'd say check out our online course. Yeah, I'd say I, without a doubt because that's what that's what it's for. But with that said, if there is a good gym in your area, right, then I would have you'd have to walk in it and get your feel. You just have to see how you feel in it. And then I would ask my instructors, you know, like the instructor, even if it's for your kid, like, um, you know, is there is there a physical test for each belt? Uh, am I going to be learning a lot of katas and forms for each belt? You know, you can you can ask those questions, but but the main thing, without a doubt, is just your feel, just how you feel. You know, and and if you see techniques being taught, that you have to think like, how would that work in the street? If you have to actually think, how would that technique work in the street? You should probably go somewhere else because every technique that they're teaching you should be something that you could easily equate to you getting jumped in the street and using that technique. Whether it's a double leg takedown, a single leg takedown, a left hook, a head kick, a spinning back kick, it doesn't matter. But if you see like your hands, the guy's hands are in a different weird place, and he's throwing a technique that looks kind of, that you just don't even, you don't understand, you know, it's, maybe I would ask for an explanation, and if he says something like, Oh, it's uh, you wouldn't understand. That's like you gotta. It's some magic, you know. I would run. <laughs> That's some solid advice. That is definitely never magic. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. All right, brother. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Um, All right. And uh, for my listeners, stay tuned for the wrap up. So that's a wrap. Thanks again for checking out Social Jello with Angelo. Uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes, uh, Last FM, one of the multiple radio stations that are out there, please jump on YouTube, look up Social Jello with Angelo, SGWA podcast, uh, hit subscribe. That's all I ask. If you want to check out my website too, hey, that's cool, www.socialjello.com. That's at the end of all this stuff. But mostly, I'm just trying to get more subscribers on YouTube. Uh, the Kaja Kimbo series is going great. I have some more interviews coming up. I try to release at least one or sometimes two of these a month. I am also busy. I have my own thing going. So I try to kind of keep you all up to date with what's going on 
in the Kaiju Kenbo community, as well as other topics. If you want to be on the show, feel free to send your email either in the YouTube comments or my website or however else you want to contact me. Send me a message on Facebook, Twitter, whatever. I'll get back to you and we'll have you up here and you can talk about whatever you want. Even if it's not martial arts related, I could put you on the regular podcast as well. All right, y'all. Take care. Peace.